if you were to think about even a college degree can be always tagged as the one of the American dreams, but it really comes at a steep price. So to your point, when you look at the average student loan balance out there for undergrad is about 30,000 and you're looking at in the hundreds of thousands for graduate or professional degrees. Welcome to The Financial Commute, a weekly podcast that gives you the rundown on what's going on in the current market, how it affects you, and what you can do about it, all designed to fit into your commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, and each week I share the table with a knowledgeable guest, including Morton Wealth Advisors, fund managers, and investment analysts, to break down complex financial topics. Our goal is to provide you with the tools to help you navigate any market environment, leading to a path of more confident investing. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The Financial Commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, joined by Wealth Advisor, Patrice Benning. Patrice, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Chris. In the news over the past several weeks, there's been a lot with regards to student loans. Um, Before we get into kind of what the program was and what it transitioned to, it sounds like forbearance ends at the end of August, so interest starts accruing in September and people are going to have to start making student loan payments again in October. Is that right? Yep. And it's been three and a half years. That's about 44 months of uh, zero payments for a lot of people. And that's been wonderful, obviously, to have to be able to pause on that. However, you know, some planning has to be done, I think. And that's why we're. it's important we have this conversation, just creating awareness around what's available right now compared to what it was um, before COVID started. Without a doubt. I mean, student loans are one of the largest debts that that the economy has here in the U.S. And I often wonder how much the lack of needing to to make payments on your student loans led towards um, or helped cause the inflation boom that we had in so many areas of our economy over the last three years, specifically, you know, with travel and hotels. I mean, if people are paying their student loans or using those dollars for other things and helping drive the economy going forward. Well, you know, if you were to think about even a college degree can be almost tagged as the one of the American dreams, but it really comes at a steep price. So to your point, when you look at the average student loan balance out there for undergrad is about 30,000 and you're looking at in the hundreds of thousands for graduate or professional degrees, um, having to pause those, it's, you know, now you've got this extra income in your pocket that can be reallocated to other, yeah. other other things. Without a doubt. And it sounds like from some of the changes, um, that income, that percentage of your income is significantly getting reduced. So let's start with, with the plan that we were under and then what some of these proposed changes are. So before, if you had it, this is um, just to want to make clear, um, this applies to federal student loans only, not private loans. So the, the goal is to understand what's available if you took out a federal student loan. And before there were, you had four options. They're all income-driven plans. Um, You had an income-based repayment. You had an income contingent. You had a pay-as-you-earn and a revised pay-as-you-earn. So those were the four options you had before. Um, And based on where you were in your life, that's what you chose. The main change is applies to the last one, the revised pay-as-you-earn. It was called repay for short. Now it's been renamed SAVE. And it stands for saving a better education, uh, save for a better education, or sorry, saving a valuable education. Okay. Saving a valu- valuable education. Um, and 
to your point before, the way that the payments that you had to make on your student loans were based on your discretionary income. Yeah. And when you think of discretionary income in this situation is really, you're looking at your modified adjust, adjustable. Modified adjustable gross income. Gross income. Yeah. Can't speak this morning. It's okay. Um, so before, they that was 10%. And they also looked at the federal poverty level limit. Mm -hmm. And that was 100, you had to be 150%. That was the calculation that would take in. That's been increased by 50%. So now it's... It's reduced. It's up to two hundred twenty-five above the federal poverty level, and also your um, the amount that you make monthly is down to five from ten. So for folks that, especially on the uh, undergraduate loan program, it's almost half their payment that they'll have to that they actually will only have to make. Un for graduate loans, it's not as significant because it doesn't apply the same five to ten. It's still the ten percent. However, because it's considered less. The, because of the um, ratio of the 225% above the federal poverty, poverty level yeah. increased, it still reduces. So they should, those folks should also see a reducement in their payments as well. Well, that's fantastic. That, that, that's fascinating and fantastic for some people. I mean, you know, for, I guess, undergraduate students, their, their student loan, it's going to be half. Correct. So the one point that, and again, there's very there's many nuances to these particular plans. But let's say if you were on the repay program before, um, you will automatically go into the safe program. So you your payments will automatically see this particular, um, you know, reduced payment monthly right. payment. If you were in the other three that I mentioned earlier, you can if it makes sense. And this is having to really consult with your tax advisor, even your financial planner to see if it makes sense to consolidate your federal loans into one. And it's just not refinancing your loans, but to make sure you don't want to refinance, you want to consolidate into one and then put it underneath the SAFE program. And that way you can then be streamlined and have one payment that's subject to this particular calculation. Well, thank you for sort of clarifying that where we were, the four different options, and then the new proposed changes, really just that last option, the repay program, switching to save, which is going to be payments over specific amounts of time, whether it's anywhere from 10 to 25 years, Correct. percentage of your income, but that income is going to be reduced. Tell us a little bit more about that. So the another significant change that's made to the particular period of time is that if you have um, student loans that are $12,000 or less, Typically, it didn't matter that, you know, you were still subject to the 25, 20 to 25 year uh, period. Yeah. You will have only after 10 years, if you still have any amount owed, that's forgiven. So that's that's really big. And that actually applies to both undergrad and graduate loans consolidated as a dollar amount, but it has to be $12,000 or less. And then the other big nuance that has to do with the SAVE program that I think before, let's say you, you know, you, you went to medical school, um, you started a family, you're making really good income. And typically some of the programs available for the income-driven repayment plans is that, you know, a lot of folks decided to, if they were married and there's benefits to filing jointly when, when you're married, but a lot of them had to choose to file separately. Um, however, the income payment plans still took, took into consideration um, the joint, joint, that, the joint regardless example. of their uh, filing status. So with the new SAFE plan, you are able to, if if you were filing jointly before, 
and again, it has to make sense because you will lose certain credits. Um, there's little nuances to, you know, having how you both, you know, can take deductions. And also if you claim children, who's who's going to claim who? However, um, there might be benefits of going from filing jointly to filing separately if you have a, a, a person in that relationship that makes significantly less income. And that's the person who has a student loan. With the student loans. Because that will, they will actually can save you quite a bit of money under the safe plan. Well, so just to summarize kind of some of those points there. Um, if you're in the income-driven repayment plan, it's going from 10% of your income, modified adjusted gross income, to 5%, so significant reduction in your minimum payment that you need to make. Um, you do have the ability to um, now choose whether you're filing joint or filing separate as it relates to um, making these these student loan payments. Um, and then if you made payments for 10 years and your balance is $12,000 or less, that will be forgiven. Correct. And there there were some problems with the system. So the administration is basically coming out and saying, hey, we know that there's been problems with the record keeping in the system and we're trying to you know, start from scratch. So if there were people that maybe were delinquent or missed a payment, everybody's starting with a clean slate going forward. And they're trying to make up for the calculation of payments and figure out where people are at between those 20 and 25 year um, timetables. This is all really confusing. It is. So the the other thing that I think it's very important to understand is that before when you consolidated your loans, your clock started again. So you were going back to a 20 to 25 year term. Where now that doesn't happen anymore. So one of the changes they've made is that even if you are, you know, if you have four or five loans out there, you can consolidate, but your clock doesn't start again. You are still, you will get credit for all the months that you've made payments, um, which is wonderful. And then the other thing that's happening is that there's no longer negative amortization. So for example, yeah, the negative amortization. I I, I saw that in 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 one of the articles. Talk uh, through that. That so before. Let's say that you made payments, but you made less than what you couldn't afford to make the full payment. Whatever you did not make would get tacked on at the end of the loan. So even if, you know, typically if you at the end of 25 years, you still owed a balance, that would be forgiven. But because you, let's say, did not make full payments all the time, that interest that accrued will be tackled at the end of the loan, at the end of the period will be forgiven, but it's considered as taxable income to you at that time. So that goes away. So if you, you know, could not make full payments throughout the period, the time of the loan, it's no longer going to be accrued at the end. Is there a minimum amount that people would still need to make? I mean, if you're on the income-driven repayment, it's 5% of your income. And let's say for whatever reason, you can only pay 1% or less. Is there a minimum or um, that hasn't been ironed out? Yet? That hasn't been ironed out. I was I was looking for that information, but it doesn't quite, even before I doesn't quite... Uh, delineate what that amount is, the percentages, I should say. I think that this is a very confusing topic. Um, and there's a lot more to come on the impact of this and, and what the purpose is. But from my understanding, and, and please clarify if, if I said anything that, that's incorrect, the purpose of this is to kind of clean up some issues that they have under the current system, but also make things easier now that we are starting student loan payments again in October. Um, that both helps give relief for student loans, but also sets people up for success to be on an income-driven repayment plan that is not too much of a burden 
so that way they can pay back their loans, but also, you know, live a comfortable life um, and have some options towards towards getting this uh, relief. And and to your point, actually, the four options I mentioned in the beginning, um, they are looking to actually really streamline them. So um, there'll probably be like maybe two instead of four. So save is here to stay, save is to replace re repay, but. Um, the one that's most likely going to stay is the income-based repayment plan, IBR for short. Um, and it's actually advisable folks that have started with that program. Um, it's advisable they stay in that and they don't switch to save. If you if you are right now making more income than you made in the past, because with switching to save, you'll end up paying more just because you'll have to recertify your income um, on an annual basis. So it is very important that you talk to a tax expert, a financial advisor, a financial planner to fully understand the impact before you make those decisions. Um, but it, it is definitely, um, it's the options are there and, but before you pull the trigger, that's the question. Yeah, I think that's, though, those are really good points. We want to talk to experts, want to talk to a CPA, tax professional, financial planner, financial advisor, somebody that can help you make the right decision on whether to stay with the current plan you want, you're on consolidate and go into save. But if you do have student loans, just be mindful that, you know, it's important to start making those payments again in October. Um, if you're on an income-driven repayment plan, odds are pretty good that your your monthly payment's going to be a little bit lower. And there's some nuances to whether or not you, you choose to married filing joint or married filing separate and what's the right one uh, for you as it relates to that income that they're using towards the repayment plan. Patrice, thank you so much. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you for joining us. And we hope this episode has provided you with a roadmap to feel more confident as an investor. To receive notifications about weekly episodes, email us at financialcommute at mortonwealth.com.